everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. You know, anytime there's a heavyweight championship fight, we'll get into technicalities in a moment, but there's a heavyweight championship fight, we got to say something about it, right? Tyson Fury just fought Francis Ngannou, and unexpected sparks flew, so I'm here with my boy Eris Pina, CompuBox operator, fellow fight history guy who just happened to count the fight yesterday actually by the way so or wait was it yesterday two days ago i don't even know what's what day happened in saudi arabia i'm all jet lagged even though i didn't leave bruh i don't know man it's a crazy fight definitely things happened that we did not expect you know sure sure um yeah when i was told i was gonna be working it it was just for me at first it was just another day at the office but you and I were talking about it. I mean, there's still some kind of intrigue in it because you're always the morbid curiosity of, of the crossover. And even though you figured, I figured, and I think 99% of the world did as well, that Fury was just going to overwhelm him pretty quickly. I knew that Ngannou was a hard puncher. I and mean, I don't know, anything could happen in heavyweight boxing. But why it transpired on Saturday, I don't think anyone anticipated. That was incredible, actually, to watch. Not in the sense that it was like exciting because it wasn't. Both guys barely threw over, you know, twenty something punches around, if that. But it was just the intrigue of watching Ngannou do so much better than anyone anticipated, myself included, yourself included, and everyone else. Like he just he looked like he belonged in there. And then, you know, there's another there's a bunch of factors that play into him yeah. doing you know, Fury and um uh his out of shape he was even for himself. And probably taking this fight lightly and a bunch of other Man, things. He was in shape, but it was just a pear shape is the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even more joking like a penguin. He always just looks like he's very stuffed out and <laughs> even more just, you know, jiggly. <laughs> yeah, did they jammed him in that motherfucking foul protector. Oh, dude. And you oh, just see dude. the all loading on the side. I mean, you know, in Fury, he always likes to brag, yeah, yeah, I'm a big guy, and muscle guys always get really tired. And to a theory, that's true, that muscle-headed dudes do get tired because of all the, you know, the stiffness with him and yada, yada, yada. But Fury's main game, and you'll agree with me on this, is that, like, he loves, you know, to use that weight to lean on guys and wear them out, i.e. the Wilder fight and others where he's able to just body and bully people around. Yeah. See, and I the mean, vast majority of heavyweights, just, like, you get them on the inside and they're, woo. They don't even know where the fuck they are. Yeah. Exactly. And Naganu had that advantage that in the MMA, you know, in UFC MMA, he's always has to be like in the clinch or something. You know what I mean? Like, if he's always being clinched up, he's used to being in the clinch and people trying to maul him and do these things. And so. And that doesn't always translate. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because you know how to wrestle or grapple doesn't mean you know how to infight in boxing. For whatever reason, Francis Ngannou, whether he trained specifically for that or what, he made it happen, dude, 100%. That was what that was part of what really surprised me because that's something where, you know, the old crusty motherfuckers say, ah, you don't see inside fighting and boxing these days. And it's true. You don't really see it, and especially at heavyweight. And all of a sudden, you got Francis Ngannou cranking out the infighting, and it's like, where the fuck did this guy come from, man? Oh, he was ripping some uppercuts. And not only doing that, but like taking a step back and doing it, like, you know, pulling Fury with them and then throwing a shot type of shit. I was like, God damn, I, what, what's going on here? Yeah, it was that was not really what a lot of us expected at all. No, and especially when you're before the fight, way beforehand, when we've been watching all the training footage and when Mike Tyson originally got involved and 
my thought at least when that when Tyson got involved was that okay this is just a publicity stunt that you know they're bringing him in and he's a big name and he's going to be training in Ganu and yada 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 but the fuck's that going to do and more so to that after the Ngannou footage started being you know put on Twitter and other various outlets where you see him hitting the bags hitting the heavy bag even like uh, sparring a little bit everything just looks so not good you know he looked slow he looked deliberate kind of mechanical he looked like somebody who he looked about what you would expect he looked like somebody who knew how to fight but not somebody who had ever boxed like somebody who was athletic and knew what they were doing overall but it didn't look natural I don't know if he was holding back for the video. I don't know what was going on, but that's not how he looked in the fight, for sure. Not at all. So all those factors going in, you know, you thought this was going to be a fury lap, you know, lap over. And um, when Fury was talking about how he was training and everything like that too, and then you know, I don't take any, I don't take anything he says seriously. Like he'll say one thing, he'll say another. Yeah, you look can't believe over. anything, yeah. Yeah, look all the gymnastics he was playing about the Usyk fight before finally uh, getting announced. So it's like you just you don't know. But proverbial clearly, gymnastics. We can't do any gymnastics for real. Look at him. Absolutely not. Imagine that dude trying to do a <laughs> backbend. Yeah, but um, at, you know, it was one of those things that like people. Fury has been the champion for a long time now. Uh, his reign has been questionable. I think that's putting it nicely. Dude, but eight years, bro. Eight. And a lot, and it's like he's been holding the title on ice, man. There's been a lot of those times we've just been saying a good run. That's not a good uh, eight year run, you know. Besides the Wilder fights, um, what was it? Derek Chisora in a, in a pointless fight that no one asked for, uh, Dillian White, um, Otto Wallen, and it's like you know, it hasn't been much there. So, when the Nganu fight originally got announced without anything else after that, you know, without the Usyk fight being announced originally, everyone was just kind of like, what the fuck, and rightfully so. Because we just didn't know at that time. But, I mean, you know. And that doesn't even, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that doesn't make our reaction wrong either, in my opinion. It's it's still, I think that we were still correct to be like, what the fuck? Because there's still challenges there for Tyson Fury, who who, fighters who have kind of, you know, paid their dues, as it were, in boxing. And fighters he should have fought. Look. Eight years, man. Eight years, and pretty much the division's kind of just been going on without him. Like, the rest of the division has been doing its thing, and he's been doing his thing, which sucks because it's not he's not really tethered to the division in any way. But, like, that's, I think, why that reaction was correct for people to go, like, what? And then, on top of that, the extra layer, we don't have to dance around it, especially not on our podcast, them holding it in Saudi Arabia, and we're like... That's the extra layer of, you know, like not only are they holding this bullshit fight when the other legitimate heavyweight fights are right there and should happen, but now you guys are adding this thing to the sports washing list. Come on, y'all. And so I think that we were correct to have that reaction. But like you said, they wound up kind of hinting, ah, well, they're going to, Usyk's going to, the Usyk fight's going to happen in December. They kind of did a a soft announcement on it. You know, they didn't really full on, but it sounded like it was contingent on Tyson Fury probably beating up Francis Ngannou like we thought he was going to do. And, but all of us were still really skeptical, which says a lot about how Tyson Fury operates and how we just can't believe a thing he says. Absolutely. You know, it's, He's one of those guys that in a different era, he wouldn't be able to get away to those type of theatrics. You know what I mean? If this was the if this was the 80s or 
before that, nah, none of that would have been able to fly. But we're in a day and age now where after certain fighters have been able to pull those type of moves like Roy Jones and his deal with HBO and other ones where they're able to pick and choose who they want to fight. And because they have guaranteed deals and they have this and they have that, that no one can really tell them no. And look at the WBC, for instance, when they said earlier that they would that they wouldn't strip Fury for a while or they weren't going to do this and that. And this was before, way before anyone thought the Usyk fight was even ever being a reality. So People just kind of like look at how the WBC just they're encouraging and catering to people like they've always done over the years. Like it was just a lot of, Ugh. so all that was coming into this fight where you're just kind of like, okay, once the Usyk fight got announced, we're like, you know something, and you know the the heat lightened up a little bit. But yeah, everyone instead of just being like, oh god, this is gonna be a big farce and who knows what Fury's <laughs> gonna be here, it became like, okay, well let's just get through this weekend. Yeah, we'll watch it because we're curious, but all roads ahead to December because still no one thought that Tyson Fury would get really hurt in this fight or anything would naturally happen to him. And then, you know, the day of the event. So. <laughs> it will. And also the, the, uh, the only other kind of angle here is that from Francis Ngannou's standpoint and from yeah. the standpoint of MMA fans too, like uh, just to kind of explain for, especially boxing fans who perhaps don't follow MMA or UFC um, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> Francis Ngannou won the UFC heavyweight championship and he won it, it, it by knockout, you know, in, in terrible fashion. And he clearly showed that he was a very heavy puncher and he was coming to uh, toward the end of a UFC contract. And they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with him because he figured out fairly quickly that he should be getting paid a whole lot more money than he's getting paid. Uh, and that UFC fighters by and large are getting absolutely screwed when it comes to the pay. Um, and especially compared to boxers, top boxers, that is. And that's precisely why so many UFC fighters are constantly fucking calling out boxers. But in any case, Francis Ngannou uh, clearly noticed this, capitalized on it, and ended his UFC contract, uh, found a way to legally get out of it, got out of it. And the UFC framed it as if they cut him and they didn't fucking want him there anyway. Fuck this guy. He wasn't any good, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he was the lineal UFC heavyweight champion. And in MMA, at least currently, the UFC is the premier leading organization when it comes to, you know, who is the most legitimate uh, champion at a given weight class. For the most part, it's going to be UFC in 2023, 2022, and going back several years. So people viewed Francis Ngannou as the right, you know, rightful heavyweight championship, even though UFC had tried to fill that vacancy by John Jones fighting. Who was it? Um, uh, 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 I know uh, Cyril, Cyril, Cyril Ghana. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, Cyril Ghana had already, you know, gone down to Ngannou and it was not, you know, anyway, it looked kind of like a farce. And it it kind of was a farce. It was Dana White trying to get back, you know, kind of take a jab at Ngannou for realizing he could get paid more and leaving and not trying to get on a soapbox about this thing. But I think that that's what a lot of people who at least are a, a little bit more objective and not just UFC fans or whatever, who are loyal to the organization saw. And so uh, I think going into this fight, a lot of people, myself included, I'm not nearly as much of an MMA fan as I am a boxing fan, obviously I've followed MMA for a couple decades now, but I kind of had to make a choice in terms of my own time. I dedicate my time to boxing, which is my first love, but I follow MMA a little bit, just not as much as I used to. That being said, 
um, you know, I was happy for Francis Ngannou getting paid because he had gotten screwed over by the UFC. He should have gotten paid more. He should have been a bigger name, a celebrity. They should have been pushing him. They even wrote him out of the narrative on recent, uh, you know, uh, recent UFC cards where I can't remember who it was, but there's another Cameroonian fighter. And they said he was the first Cameroonian fighter ever in the UFC. And it's like, bro, Francis Ngannou fucking champion. Hello. Point is, you know, they screwed him. So I was happy for Ngannou. Uh, it sucked, I thought, that he had to go to Saudi Arabia to do it, but he was getting paid, and I was appreciative of that for sure. So going in here, the, there was a, a number of different things at play that I think were, you know, it's okay to feel conflicted about this. It's okay to be like, yeah, it doesn't really make me feel good that all these things are happening, but I'm happy the fighter's getting taken care of. Um, but, you know, based on the press conferences, all that type of stuff, like you said, Tyson Fury looks large, but he kind of always looks large. That's kind of his thing these days. He hasn't been like in good shape in several years now for fights. So it's tough to really know what to think, but he also hasn't really had to be in really great shape for fights. Also what you were talking about, you know, subpar opposition. So anyway, um, a lot of these things really just opened the door for what we saw on Saturday. A lot of us were expecting Tyson Fury to like, we're expecting Ali Dokes. You know what I mean? We're expecting some kind of exhibition style thing with the heavyweight champion, just kind of beating up a novice or looking good, getting some work in, you know, a high level sparring exhibition. Maybe that's what I think what a lot of us thought ha was going to happen. And it, it was pretty clear from the beginning that Nganu was not coming to play around. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I bounce off of what you just said. I kind of agreed with that. Like, I I figure that, you know, Fury would play with him, um, lean on the ropes a lot, and Ganu might, like, swing a couple of major shots that would get close or something, but Fury obviously would. He had that way of, you know, deflecting him and with his sides or whatever he would do, and he would just, you know, cruise. Bounce either. off his love handles. Yeah, absolutely, the type of stuff. You, you see him just doing sparring all the time, right, or in the gym. So I figure that. I didn't think that Fury was going to blow him out relatively quickly because, you know, he's not a guy that usually blitzes people. But um, but that he would dance around, try to move, you know, give a show for a bit, and then maybe even let him go to, like, get, like, some sort of success, something to get people riled up, and then take him out around, like, the seventh Play to the crowd, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, like, you know, and then, like, take him out around the seventh or eighth round. And um, I think the sentiments of most people were exactly that. But like you said, first round, right away – what was interesting is, um, unlike most guy, uh, MMA guys that have tried to cross over into boxing, um, with the exception of maybe, I guess, Anderson Silva, um, they don't really have good footwork or, like, good foot placement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they're still kind of placed in how it would be an MMA when they're going to strike as opposed to going against a natural boxer, and it's just different, and their flow is off, and it doesn't work. And Ganu actually had really good, like, you can clearly tell he worked on his footwork for this, and the placement of what he was supposed to do and how to move in the ring and how to move with a guy like Fury who likes to move and try to, you know, use his legs as well. And Fury was clearly caught off guard by that early on, <laughs> even though Ngannou wasn't doing a lot, like, you know, his movements and how he was able to cut off the ring and how he was socking stuff like that clearly got to Fury a bit because it was different as opposed to a guy like Wilder who still doesn't have good footwork after all these years. And, you know, still kind of still like, it's gotten better, but he's still kind of a ponderous guy and, of that nature. Follows matrix. a lot, yeah. Yeah. And um Ngannou was patient. He was using his jab well. He didn't throw it as much as Fury was, but he was using it, going to the body when he needs to. And clearly, you know, Fury was a little surprised. Absolutely perturbed, but nothing out of the ordinary. Fury, you know, I think 
edge the first round, but it was close. And then Ngannou started having slightly more success. And, like, you started getting the sense that, like, okay, this isn't success like Conor McGregor having success against Floyd Mayweather, where Mayweather is clearly just holding everything in and doing this more for a show than whatever. But Ngannou was, like, kind of, you know, giving Fury um, a little bit of trouble here. And then in round three, that's when all hell broke loose. You know, it looked for a moment like it kind of looked like in the first two rounds, almost like, and obviously this is not correct. It just looked to me like at first, like I was like, oh, wow, maybe Tyson Fury is just rusty and needs to kind of like settle in a little bit. And Nganu's kind of catching him off guard, but like, you know, he's going to tire. Like this is not, there's no way this is going to last. And that's kind of how I felt during Mayweather McGregor too. Like ah, Mayweather might, he's probably just a little rusty. McGregor's got a very strange style. You know, his, his approach is very, you know, he's got his arms out and he's kind of coming like this at you. That's a, a really weird place for punches to be coming from sometimes, you know, et cetera. So I kind of thought like, all right, he needs to get adjusted, but it was clear that like, uh, I think that once Nganu was showing that he was consistent, like the, with what he was doing, like, Oh wow, he knows what he's doing. But I still kind of felt by round three, like, all right, he needs to Tyson Fury just needs to settle down a little bit. But Nganu started stepping in, you know, and he was stepping with him is the thing. And I think that that really caught Tyson Fury off guard, that Nganu wasn't just kind of coming in and <laughs> type of thing. But he was like kind of going in, stepping with him and following him out and punching. And Tyson Fury was like, what's this fucking guy doing? And he yeah. caught him with a fucking hook. And and on top of that, Tyson Fury kept looking for his right hand and Nganu was throwing a nice hook. Absolutely. And Furious uh, has a good, you know, whenever he gets hit on the top of the head, he's been dropped down there before. You've seen it been dropped by Wilder um, and others. And he got clunked right up there again. And the same way he just kind of drops right on his ass. Boom. And then he lays there, he looks around and, you know, slightly embarrassed, but clearly he was hurt by this. And you see him breathe a little bit heavy and he was shook. You saw it in his eyes. He was just kind of like, oh shit, like, you know, we're in a fight now. And Another thing, I don't, I think this might have been right before the knockdown or so, but but one thing the announcers didn't pick up on, they said they meant they mentioned it when Fury did it, but remember when Nganu start, uh, turned southpaw first, and then Fury turned southpaw after that, and then you see how they were like you know kind of fencing each other and trying to still fill each other out, but like clearly Nganu had worked. I mean, all the as much as we were doubting it because you didn't think that he can convert that easily. I mean, this is a guy, you have to remember, before he became a, an MMA fighter, he he did start out in boxing. I mean, he does have some experience, but, like, not to the level of a guy like Fury, you know. So you didn't really think that, like, a person that's been doing the majority of his career being, you know, represented in, in MMA, even though it clearly has amazing punching power and stuff like that, that he would be able to, to translate that into a fight, at least against the heavyweight champion, maybe against a low-level guy and a couple of fights from there. And then he builds himself up to that mega fight. But to go from that all the way to this, we all thought it was just nothing. But not only was he holding his own, he was looking really good. Yeah. Excuse me. And he put himself in position to land that left hook. Uh, Obviously, part of it was that Tyson Fury was, he was exchanging with him, left himself open. Like you said, uh, he's kind of susceptible to getting hit with a, a handful of punches. And his his defense is not bad, obviously, but it's not as great as it's made out to be. And as we kind of talked about, the level of opposition has not been good. And so I think that a lot of it was just surprise, being caught off guard, 
and Ganu being much better than he thought. And then also, dude, he let himself get really out of shape. He put himself in position to get shot, uh, to hit with that shot. And he got hit with it. And like you said, uh, a mixture of it probably hurt him to some degree, but he was shocked. Like he was like, what? And then I, yeah. I can't believe it. I can't remember if it was right before the knockdown or right after, but he got cut too. He did. Yeah. He had an abrasion around his skull. It wasn't a bad cut, but he was definitely getting scuffed and beat up a little bit. And I don't want to, you know, make it out the same, like Ngana was doing all the work and Fury wasn't doing shit. Like clearly he was out, still out throwing him and outlanding him. But the damage being done, at least facially wise, was being done by Nganu at that point. And what was interesting is that as Fury was still, you know, moving in, um, as Nganu was still moving in, I was, almost, you know, as I'm counting him, because I was counting Nganu that night, I'm almost just saying to myself, like, he just needs to use his jab more. If he just, you know, works in and throws a few combinations, like, he can really do some damage here. But you can tell at the same time, even though he held his stamina pretty well throughout the fight, that he was really conscientious of that, too. Yeah, he was kind of holding back a bit, it seemed. Absolutely. And I think it was around after he had knocked Fury down, and it was after, you know, around like round four-ish or so, you know, his mouth started opening up a little bit. And yeah, it looked like, oh, shit, this is where it's going to begin. That's what I was thinking myself. I was like, oh, no, like he hasn't thrown a ton of punches, but the damage he's done and Fury already starting to lean on him and trying to do what he does is um going to start working on him. But to his credit, you know, yeah, he was probably a little tired and conserving himself, but it, he was still in there. And then, as we mentioned earlier, when Fury starts going in on the clinches and stuff like that, and Ganu at this point, once in a while, boom, he's hitting, a, you know, an uppercut. He was doing this. And Fury, who's known for his major uppercut on the inside, wasn't able to get it off a few times, so... He was almost Fury did almost nothing on the inside, like at least compared to what he usually does. And that's not to say he's an, he's not an infighting fucking, you know, wizard or anything like that. A lot of it is that he stifles the fighting on the inside. And that in and of itself is a skill like it's awful to watch, <clears throat> but it's it's part of what he does. It's part of what he manages to do. Also on the outside is the fainting and all that type of shit and shutting down an opponent's offense. It's not pretty, but it's part of the winning and it's part of what keeps him winning. And he wasn't able to do really either of those things. And Francis and Ganu's inexperience might have actually worked for him in that regard, in the sense that he's not used to seeing the faint, faint, fainting shit. So he's not really biting on it the way that a lot of the a lot of more experienced fighters might. Or perhaps that he just said, I don't give a shit. I'm just gonna throw anyway. Either way, it was working for him. Um you know, I, I think that it was pretty clear to me that at the very least in every single round of this fight, uh, I'm not saying that Nganu was taken every round, but in the at the very least, Tyson Fury was uncomfortable in every round of this fight. He, after very quickly, probably about a minute and a half or so in, he was like, this was a mistake. <laughs> at least the way I approached this was a mistake. Oh, totally, totally. You can just, you, you would sense that, like, as he's moving in, he's he's struggling over there. Mm -hmm. And like Ngannou was just, he's not, and Fury landed some big punches too. And that was probably for himself a little, um you know, discerning that, like, he was able to. Like, bop, bop, yeah, he landed him. a couple big right hands. And, you know, if you've seen Wilder, he gets hit with a shot like that. He's been hurt. They've been dropped. Other fighters. I got to give the examples where they are, right? And it's like. You know, Fury has hurt a lot of fighters with those right hands. I mean, he is, he is he's not a massive yeah, so. knockout power, um, power, but he does have power. And yeah, for I mean, a guy that, you're like six, eight, 
270. Yeah. I mean, you put that weight, weight into a bunch. Absolutely. You know, so in that regard, I mean, like the way, you know, that is like a little disheartening when you can hit your guy with your Sunday best and he just kind of sits there and he's like, all right, you know, bring some more on there. You're like, shit. And at that point, Fury knows he's out of shape and he's not where he's supposed to be. And he's probably, you know, that doubt starts rolling in his mind. That he's like, oh, man, I just need to ride this out and try to like squeak by this one. And I'll get to his point after, well, I'll get to the point afterwards when we talk about the point of uh, the after fight, because there's um, a quote that he made that kind of relates to that, where I said, like, in his head, he's knowing himself. He was like, oh, I put myself in this mess now. Like, this is my fuck up. And I'm, I got to somehow dig myself out of this. Otherwise, it's going to be the most embarrassing loss in boxing history, potentially. Definitely in heavyweights, at least. And I mean, to his credit, after, you know, struggling the first few rounds, I mean, he was still being more active and he was landing. Like, in each yeah. round, he was landing a Ganu, but it was just the more powerful shots were being thrown and landed by a Ganu. But Fury's jab yeah. was working well. He was still able to outbox him in, in spurs and dictate the pace of what he wanted it to be. And um, that was really evident. Um, I think the last big round Ngannou had was uh, round eight. Yeah, I was, yeah, sorry. I was gonna say seven or eight. I can't remember which one it was, but the last one it was where I was like, "Damn, he's kind of beating his ass a little bit right here." Like he's Absolutely. he's getting to him. And in round eight, he was really starting to tag him up. I, mean, I think he landed the most punches he had in any of the rounds at that point. And Fury was looking distressed. He was looking hurt after you know coming back around six and seven and in control and everything. But Ngannou was really touching him up in that round. And I was saying to myself, if he can just ride this momentum the last two rounds, he's going to win this fight and not actually stop Fury. Because this isn't Fury from the Wilder fight. So even though, like you said, he was so out of shape and slovenly over there, he was still in better shape, clearly, than where he was here. Like, this was just a sloppy-ass looking dude. And Ngannou, unfortunately, he really took his um, the pedal off the pedal off those last two rounds. He barely threw anything, barely landed anything. Just kind of followed Fury around and let Fury dictate the pace and do his little duh, 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 type style thing. And that was the crucial part. If he had really pushed the pedal those last two rounds, I would have given him the fight. And I think the the judges would have too, considering what the scorecards were. But yeah, well. I wound up scoring it five to five in rounds, but okay. with a knockdown for Nganu, you know, he took it by a point on my card, but it, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if somebody around that I gave in Ghana, somebody else gave Fury or whatever. So I'm not mad about, I don't think there was a robbery by any means or any of that type of stuff. And, and on top of that, that's not even really the point. You know what I'm saying? Like, and a lot of people have pointed this out before. Personally, I do not think that it's a massive loss for boxing. I don't think that it hurts boxing in any way, really. It actually might help it in some regards because it might make for some bigger fights and for some of these matchups that I know a lot of hardcore people are going to hate. And they're like, it's Jake Paul type of blah, 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 I, whatever. That's fine. I understand people won't like it, but if it brings eyes and it brings money, then ultimately it brings opportunities for fighters. And that's a good thing. But um, regardless, you know, it's, I, I know like it's, it's tough. It's like a tough pill to swallow. Because sure. what should have happened and the logical thing, you know, the, for the universe to be correct and everything to fall into place was that one thing that we know is, that, you know, the first thing you know is Jed's a millionaire. The second thing you know is that boxing's heavyweight champion can beat the UFC heavyweight champion in a boxing ring. Like that's fucking common knowledge and everybody knows it. So when that doesn't happen, 
something's off, something's wrong, you know, and that's throwing people off in the first place. But on top of that, dude, it it's embarrassing for Tyson Fury. It's yeah. it's straight up. There's not really any way where he looks good here. No, um, that prevailing wisdom throughout this past after this past week and after that fight, immediately after that. If you're on Twitter and everybody from fans to Malta, the prominent uh, media people all kind of said the same thing. Tyson Fury looked like shit. This was all his fault, and this was pretty embarrassing for him. Not in the fact that, like, Nganu wasn't credible for himself. I mean, he put on the performance of a lifetime, and all credit to him. That was his night. This was his weekend, because no one expected him to do what he was able to do. But Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is it was a dub for him no matter what. Absolutely, but keep this in perspective. That was because Fury came in absolute like shit. Like, he just didn't train. He clearly didn't really care about this. He didn't take himself seriously. Which still says a lot about him. Yeah, and he almost dropped the ball on that. Like, you know, I put it, I put out there a tweet where I said Fury joins the club now with Floyd Patterson of um, heavyweight champions getting dropped by a guy making their pro debut. Yeah, and, while making, yeah, while making a defense of the championship. Yes, I didn't put that in the tweet. And I should have. Well, I, you didn't have to because people should get it. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like incredible. But like, if you look at Patterson getting dropped by Pete Rademacher, one Patterson got dropped by everybody, so that was. One thing and two, Rademacher was an uh, was an Olympic gold medalist coming off of like whooping everyone in the Olympics at that point, and you know had a good amateur pedigree and knew how to box. He was a boxer first. He was no MMA background, nothing with him. He was just an amateur fighter. You know what I mean? Custom model star deal when you saw one, but like still, that was much more of a legit fight than this. What this was supposed to be. This was supposed to be just you know on the level of. Mayweather. Pete Rademacher is probably trying to hit threes like in fucking the movie Hoosiers kicking his leg out and shit. Yeah, <laughs> Dropping the heavyweight champion. And Rademacher went on to have, I mean, not a spectacular career, but I mean, a respectable one in the least. Yeah, he was okay. You know, he wasn't like some bum or anything like that, but he obviously didn't pan out in the pros the way that he No, definitely not. Whenever he stepped up to someone pretty massive like Archie Moore or someone of that nature, he got pretty beat up, but he did beat Bobo Lawson. Sorry to bring up Bobo, though. Oh, Bobo. God, yeah. dude, just touch him, and he goes down. Poor guy. Um, Absolutely. Well, the, the Fury thing, dude, that is that is really embarrassing for him. It's not it embarrassing, is. but it's for him and himself and being the heavyweight champion. That's uh, Yeah, I don't feel embarrassed as, like, a boxing fan or, you know, come on, oh. dude. I don't give a fuck. I thought it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, and I was hoping that, you know, as a fan, I thought it would have been incredible if Ngana was able to pull that off. But like you got kind of alluded to, this open instead of people be like, "Oh man, this is bad for boxing." Blah, 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 this opens the door, whether we really, whether you know the hardcores want to see it or not, for more of these type of fights. I'm not sure if Dana White, after watching this, is gonna all of a sudden want to open up his book and be like, "Okay, I'll let these guys do." It. I still don't see that. No, and for him, it was probably the the most perfect sour grape situation because Ngannou got paid and almost fucking won. And he looked good, and now everybody's on Ngannou's jock. So for Dana White, he's probably just sitting there all fucking red and bald and fucking, you know, right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Just sitting there kicking and stewing. I'm never getting a press credential from UFC ever. You probably don't want one, bro. No, I don't give a fuck. I went to one one time. I went to an Elite XC when Kimbo fought in Newark against that, that English dude whose ear, like, got mangled. Oh, uh, James, um, yeah, fucking fool who used to fight in Pride, the massive hulking. Yeah. Uh, fuck, can't remember his name, Punk. 
it was was his nickname James something. But in any case, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But watching fights in a cage live sucks, from what I understand, because it's like there's no good vantage point. No, it was. It was. I mean, it was a cool atmosphere, but exactly to that point, it was like trying to watch probably the equivalent of trying to watch like a WWF cage match in the '80s. Like, remember those big blue cages that they're pretty iconic for. And you're like, yeah, probably moving your head around. What the fuck? Yeah, totally, totally. So, but. That, yeah, that was my one and done. It was just a weird crowd. It's a similar crowd to boxing, but much more. How do I describe it? Like, dial the bro up to eleven. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of dudes wearing like team shirts, like from their various clubs in Jersey and stuff. And like if that. it was Elite XC, there was probably a lot of affliction gear at the time. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And just like you said, a lot of spiky hair and other broish stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't okay. see fights in the audience or nothing. It was a cool event, but at the same, but I mean, think about it. There's a lot of like crossover appeal fights that people now would be like more inclined, definitely to instead of thinking of as absolute farce. But yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves and think that these not all these guys are going to have the same success Ganu did. Like if Sean O'Malley, who's an excellent fighter in his own right, um, in the UFC and champion and all that. Got his wish to fight Tank Davis. I do not think it would go as well as Ngannou did against Fury. Um, Bodied, yeah, it'd be bad. Yeah. Or Sean Strickland. Cool. I don't remember who Sean Strickland was calling out, but he was calling out somebody. And I'm just like, you. I mean, whatever. Like I said, it creates good opportunities, but the they won't have the same success. No, no, and not only that too. It's like um, the who was the other guy? Uh, it's but the only thing is that now after this fight, um, we'll see what Ngannou wants to do. But I know everybody like his door is open. Everybody wants to fight him now. I'm sure. Like there's a lot of fighters that the big names, you know. Like I'm, I know you just got out of work and whatnot, but or you know you you've been busier, so you might not have seen. But they're talking about the Wilder negotiations have already started. Really? Yeah. Hell yeah! That was the fight. Let's fucking go! Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Best case scenario for real, yeah. I'm that's, I, you I, know, I, I have no idea, you know, if they'll wind up being fruitful because I kind of feel like Wilder would look at the situation unless they're offering a lot of money, which fuck it, whatever. But Wilder would kind of look at the situation like UFC guy, you want me to fight him, you know, because I don't know, I would understand that mindset. But if they're often, you know, waving a lot of money in front of his face, he might just say, fuck it, however bombs away you know what i mean like and ganu's not going to run from that i don't think you even even if he does it's a situation where i don't think he's going to run far i don't think he would if the opportunity arises and the money is right for that then i'm sure he would be all for it the payday that he got from this fury fight already has him i'm sure absolutely giddy from what boxing what if he knocked wilder out bro yikes clearly he's a monster puncher like that you know even the hook that he landed on Fury's skull didn't look like there was all maximum force to it. it oh, yeah. It, like, kind of glanced. Yeah. So when Fury went down, like, you know, the way he did, I was like, holy shit. Because, I mean, look, I'm not an MMA guy. I'm not a UFC guy. I have a, I have an interest in it, but I don't follow it like that. And I don't go out of my way to watch the pay-per-views or anything either because the main events start at, like, 2 in the morning or some crazy shit. But... I mean, you know, I'm just joking. I'm being exaggerating. But as a person on the East Coast, they start late as hell. And this is as a boxing person. Well, yeah, a lot of it's like based out of Vegas and shit. So, yeah. But like you said, I've watched his footage 
And I mean, obviously they were playing his highlight reels of him decapitating guys in, in the UFC over and over and over. And I, you know, I wouldn't want to be the recipient of any of that type of power. But I mean, the the thing about him though is that like not just him wielding power and you know throwing some caveman clubs, like he just technically knew how to throw. He looked good. Like he knew look he looked like a guy who's been boxing for many years mm-hmm. and knew what he was doing in there. Very comfortable. I was, I was, that's I, one of the things that shocked me apart from the infighting thing was how smooth he looked. Um, yeah. I he looked uncomfortable in the ring. He looked fatigued a few times, but he never looked out of death. No, no, no. Yeah. He never looked like he didn't belong. And that was what I was kind of like, I, like I said earlier, um, we've seen a lot of fighters or guys who went from wrestling when they were young or whatever, you know, athletes, good athletes who, knew what they were doing in general in sports, you know, could pick up just about any sport. Boxing is not a sport you could just pick up. And so usually what happens when though even really good, insanely good athletes get into boxing, they still look very stiff. They don't look natural. They look, they move in a way. And that's how Francis and Ganu looked in those training videos. I was like, I don't know if this is going to end well, you know, like he, he looks like he's throwing punches well, but he looks very stiff. He looks very, slow and he didn't look that way against fury in the ring so i don't know if he's holding back or what was happening but he looked that's what shocked me he looked like he could get back in there in three four six months no problem like oh. it, it, yeah and he'll be all right against almost anybody he didn't really take a ton of punishment either he was just outlanded but he wasn't really beat up in there or anything fury no. didn't do that much you know he most he did was just land a couple well, that big ass elbow he landed besides that um you remember that highlight where you saw Fury like Yeah, dude, he, yeah, that was a pretty solid elbow he landed, to be honest. Ah, yeah. Donald didn't even flinch from that oh, either. Yeah, he was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, and what? <laughs> like, yeah, okay. He, you know, like, he was like, I eat these for breakfast. You know where I come from? <laughs> like I like hit my own elbow on the counter and I'm down for two days. I'm like, I can't, dude. Get me fucking ibuprofen. You fucking kidding me? Get out of yeah, here. That's pretty incredible the way you can take a shot like that. So that's almost like you know, when you hit a guy with an elbow and they barely even flinch, it kind of reminds me of um, when Richard Pryor was talking about boxing and he said he got in there with a dude who was punching himself and he got all freaked out. And he was like, coach, he looked at his wife, he was like, coach, he's like, he's whooping his own ass. Like, what do you think he's going to do to me? He clearly don't give a shit about himself. <laughs> and I don't know, that's, it's scary, but like, he, he did really, really well. I mean, it was phenomenal to watch, but at, Got to keep this into account as well that Fury also came in in the worst possible shape. So that helped Ngannou also, you know, shine even more so. Do I know if uh, Ngannou would have the same success had Fury come in, like, decent shape like he did for, say, like, the the third Wilder fight or, like, you know, the first one or, hell, even when he was back in, like, really good shape? Who knows? You know, probably not. But... At this time, but he still showed that he'd still be competitive. You know what I mean? Because he clearly belongs. Yep. He, the most he could only rise to the occasion that he was given, which he did. You know, and that's that's all he and could lot, do. And like you said, you know, he's the first guy out of a bunch of sports I've seen where a fighter, where people transition <laughs> to boxing, where he looked really natural in it. And you think about all the years and different people that have like transitioned from wrestlers like um, the late great Danny Hodge who um, actually did have a lot of success in boxing in the 50s. Got to give it to him. Tough guy. Had a monster masher of a punch. Um, the type of guy that could take a... You know what he was famous for, right? 
when he would take apples and crush them with his bare hands. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that was the part of his bit. Yeah. Yeah, he would take and crush them, and then you know, pop the thing in his mouth. Ridiculous. Which is a lot harder than you might think. <laughs> when you, like, I tried. Apple, I, didn't I was just like curious because I had like an apple one time at work, and I was like, let me see what I can do with this. And I just made like the slightest dent in my hand, started cramping. I was like, Jesus, you know. Yeah, like two hands, no problem. One, nah, it ain't easy, dude. Even two hands is gonna be tough for you to do. Apples are big, man. Like you know, they're strong. But that's true. I might, yeah. Let's strike that. Not a no problem, but easier, regardless. Uh-huh. Yeah, Hodge had success enough that he became a contender in the 50s until I believe he lost to Nino Valdez. Um, you move it on, there was Charlie Powell, another heavyweight from like the 50s and early 60s, who was a football player and probably the best football player to ever cross over into boxing because he did have success. And um, he knocked out Valdez, in fact, and uh, beat a few other contenders before, you know, eventually obs- uh, falling into obscurity. And then trying to think of other crossover guys that heavy at least well i'm pretty sure deontay wilder was balling he was playing like basketball, uh, basketball and football i think yeah. before he picked up boxing michael, michael grant i think was another one that yep. was a basketball michael grant player. for sure lance whitaker yeah um maybe Derek jefferson not sure yeah i don't know then you had um you know the heavyweights of the early to mid 90s from the nfl like mark gastonow which mm-hmm. Um, Alan, uh, Alonzo Highsmith. Highsmith, yeah. Kendall Gill. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but in terms of MMA guys, you know, there's a bunch of uh, famous uh, fighters in the MMA who have crossed over and have a few uh, professional fights. Anderson Silva, oh, yeah. notable ones. Um, Israel Adesanya, who posted up a clip of his today claiming that he's never going into boxing. No one really gives a shit, buddy. Um, if you got yeah, pieces, yeah, you got to be at the you got to be at the top for people to give a shit, dude. If you yeah. if you're like Clement, oh, I didn't want to box anyway. Like after a loss, like after a bad loss, then people are just like, I don't give a fuck, dude. Especially get whooped on by a guy who clearly is not a boxer himself. Come on now, come on yeah. now. I mean, go whatever. Stay in the UFC, bro. But, um. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. I think even um Alec, what's his name? Alex Pereira Pereira. And actually there have been well, uh the Noguera brothers used to work with the Brazilian uh national national team. And so like they they had pretty good hands, especially for MMA. And let's see who else. Uh Jens Pulver. Jens Pulver had a number of professional fights, and he was one of the fighters that was kind of marketed in the UFC back in like the late 90s and early 2000s as especially toward the boxing crowd because he was like a he was a kickboxer, but he had a, a boxing background too, and he had really good hands, you know, especially for MMA. And so he was kind of marketed for like the boxing crowd, like, oh look, he uses his hands. He doesn't really wrestle much. He doesn't get on the ground as much type of thing uh and he had a number of fights kj noons uh he had a yeah he had a handful of pro fights uh i don't i don't think the diaz brothers ever fought pro but i think they both fought as amateurs i know one of them was supposed to fight jeff lacy remember that (laughs) i think it was which one's the older one nick yeah it was nick that was supposed to fight jeff lacy i don't know why i fell apart um here's another one too tony hall I don't know if you remember him. Tony Holm was um, a professional wrestler, actually, at one point. That's really familiar. His um, and his WWF name was Ludwig Borga. 
mm-hmm. who played as, yeah who played as a dude from Finland and hated the U.S. for um actually for pretty decent reasons when you think about it because <laughs> he was like an environmentalist <laughs> and stuff like that and talk about how dirty the U.S. was and all this other stuff and how bad our ecosystem was and and the you know, but of he course, ain't wrong. <laughs> oh, no, he wasn't. So I mean, you know, but this is the it's night. one of those situations where thirty-five years later, he was fucking right the whole time. But he did. Uh, um, he was a pro fighter, and he held and he held a win over a completely washed up Iran Barkley. So, huh? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there have been instances. Of course, uh, boxing fans are going to love to point out the instance of Ray Mercer going and fucking washing Tim Sylvia, who himself was really washed at the time. But that's like that's literally like the only one we got, dude. That's like the that's they'll point to it all day. But regardless, I think that's but I was going to say the couple, the two or three times I can recall you uh, boxers, professional boxers going into the UFC, they got washed immediately. I yeah, mean, James Tony, yeah, almost everybody. The dude from the first UFC, what was his name? Um, uh, he's a pretty oh, good cruiser, actually. homeboy with one boxing glove. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't remember his Our name. Zimmer, Our, Our Zimmerman or something. Zimmerman, right? Maybe I don't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head, but I can see him in my head. For sure, sure. One glove, Zimmerman. That's him. And then another one that people would forget about it was a heavyweight. When he wasn't even a French contender, but he was, you know, he wasn't a journeyman either, Melton Bowen. Mm. And he was one of them in the early UFCs, and I think he got cooked really quickly himself. So the vast majority of the time, that's what happens. They either take leg kicks and that's that's it, or they get taken down and that's it. So I mean, I get it. But that was the other, that was kind of another angle of this was that uh, a lot of people, especially boxing fans, were I perhaps perhaps not concerned, but annoyed, aggravated by the fact that now we're going to get harassed by mixed martial arts fans and have to defend boxing's honor for however long. I don't really give a shit about defending yeah, anything's honor. But, that dude, Ariel, uh, Ariel Hawani. Yeah, he is going off right now. Talking about how Ngannou's the fighter of the year in boxing UFC and he's going to knock out everybody in the heavyweight division and all this stuff, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like I said, like I said, they're going to get carried away. And that's fine. Let them have their day. It's totally fine. It's all good. Uh, but, you know, uh, this, in my opinion, I guess one of the last one of the last things I have to say, because in parting, I do have a couple of negative things to talk about with the event. So we won't linger on it too much and it'll be before we go. But um, one of the things I was going to say was that this really wound up being in terms of its impact, a lot like Ali Inoki, obviously not in any sense that it was a mixed rules match, but in the sense that Ali, I think, uh, first got into this, into the Inoki fight, thinking, you know, this is going to be a big promotional crossover event. I'm going to get some Japanese fans, you know, we'll kind of tap into the Japanese market. Ja- the Japanese uh, wrestling market probably thought the same thing. We're going to benefit from Muhammad Ali coming over and, you know, gracing us with his presence, as it were. And instead, Ali winds up getting just kicked to the fucking legs for like 100 plus times. Blood clots winds up being a massive fiasco for him. And obviously, it wasn't a fiasco to that degree for Tyson Fury, but it was, sure was a fucking fiasco. I mean, I'm not saying they're the same thing, but the fiasco level, high. Definitely comparable. I mean, that's that's boxing in a nutshell, right? Expect the unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> when you really think about it, you just never know, especially when you're so sure about something that's going to happen. And then... Yeah, never be sure. sure. Yeah. Especially with heavyweights. 
because you just can never tell what's going to happen in a heavyweight fight. Even a novice like Nanganu can drop the heavyweight champion in the world. That's the beauty of boxing. That's why we love it. That's why we watch it, because it's dramatic like that. You just never know. And especially when you have a heavyweight champion who comes in so lackadaisical sometimes and clearly sloppy. doesn't give a shit, just sloppy as hell. And that's the recipe for an upset, you know? So good oh, for him. looks guy. like a pile of laundry coming into a fight. <laughs> he really does. He just, oh, man. I mean, imagine just having that because it must be so uncomfortable with that that type of body weight and all sweaty and just leaning all over you like, Remember how, like, the Nasty Boys back in the day, they used to do Pity City and kind of put their armpits all up on you and rub it in your face? Like, I'm not saying Fury does that, but, like, he's just... Rikishi and fucking, like, just... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, you dude. know, the sweat and everything, just leaning, and you're on the ropes, and... Oh, nah, bro. Mm-mm. Sounds all kinds of awful. <laughs> yeah, man. It, oh, man. It wound up being bad. Um, obviously, a, a major boon, a major positive for Francis Ngannou, who, you know what, dude? Uh, he he bet on himself. He took he he definitely took the risk. A lot of people, the the kind of resounding him, especially from UFC fans, was you know he quote unquote fumbled the bag. He fucked it up. You know, yeah, we told you. Now he's gonna go get beaten up in boxing. He's gonna get some money, but he's just gonna wind up, you know, blah blah blah. He did nothing for leaving the UFC. Nah, he showed a whole bunch of fighters that he was worth more. Bet on himself and cashed the fuck in, and not only cashed in, but almost really cashed in. Almost cashed in as much as he could possibly cash in. He came super, super close. So, you know, uh, I think that Francis Ngannou, you got to give it up to the guy one way or another. But like I was kind of alluding to earlier, the only negative things that I'll say here is one, uh, the pace of the entire event was just like ridiculous and terrible. I had to work. I, it. I, didn't think I, felt. I couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not even kidding when I say I took two naps during the thing and i didn't even miss any of the fights dude i took two naps and didn't miss fights is what i'm saying it was not well paced and a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was in saudi arabia dude um however you feel politically about any of this that might not even factor in man what what might get through to a lot of people is kind of maybe like some shaming or something here which is a, which is like me saying don't you think that it's kind of weak that boxing's in a spot where it has to go to Saudi Arabia? Like, don't you think that that's embarrassing as like a boxing fan that it's probably not anything about us not supporting boxing enough at home or anything. I don't necessarily think that's, I think that factors in, but not as much as the promoters say, like that's probably the line that they're going to use is like, well, we wouldn't need to go to Saudi Arabia if you guys would fill arenas. You know what I mean? That's going to be the the line, but that's not really true. Like you could take that money of fill arenas because there are arenas being filled, uh, you know, semi-regularly in the U S for certain fighters. Uh, but clearly if, We've talked about this on other podcast episodes where regimes and, you know, South Africa, other um, Zaire at the time, you know, now the Democratic Republic of Congo today, the anniversary of Ali Foreman, you know, and, and these other outside entities getting in on it and just throwing gobs of money. Show it. Show it. Fucking Daishiki, oh, wow. Daishiki shirt. Oh, yeah. What, for the anniversary? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, I got um, this crazy, speaking of, I got a crazy Ali. Uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, dude. Yeah, Foreman shirt that was from the event. Not sure if it was sold there or not, but my one of our buddies from the show, um, he actually, he sent me a link where um, the uh, there was a guy on the, um, what was it? The When We Were Kings documentary? Yeah. Yeah, you see him in the crowd or somewhere walking and he's wearing this. And then this one is uh, Wally Muhammad's uh, trainer jacket. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Dude, yeah. you're, you're the king. You're the fucking king. But um, yeah, and Sasha and those places, when those places throw money like that, it's, again, we uh, history has repeated itself many times over the years. We've talked about this, you and I, off the, sh- off, um, off the show and on the show about how this is very similar to... Um, what was going on in Sun City, South Africa in the late 70s and early 80s. Same promoter behind it. Sol Kersner, who was behind Sun City, was throwing wads of money because they just had unlimited funds over there to um, anybody in the U.S. to come perform. And, you know, there was a lot of atrocities going on in South Africa at the time, mainly apartheid and all the different ridiculousness that comes with that. And it's, it was a horrendous, you know, a horrendous time and what was going on in that country. And there was a lot of people that were against anyone doing any business over there and rightfully so, because why should you be doing business with a country that's so just like radically bad? And a lot of celebrities were just kind of like, well, I'm just going to go take that money regardless. You know, um, black celebrities that definitely took, took, uh, got a lot of slack for it. And, um, and others for that matter, like Frank Sinatra, who was just kind of like, I don't give a fuck. and just kind of went, but the biggest one when it came to sports was boxing, you know, and Bob Aaron was one of the guys, the first guys that saw like tons of dollar signs over there and started dabbling into the business, especially once um, Ali retired and started taking in these guys like Harry Cosia and um, Kelly Knitza and others. Dante, and- yeah. John Tate put them in this WBA tournament where it was mainly going to be held over there. Um, John Tate against Cali Knutza was held um, in some, some like, you know, some football stadium over there, uh, soccer stadium on a resort in, uh, in South Africa. I forgot the name of the exact place. I think it was Sun City Arena, I believe, but I'm not yeah. sure. It was in Mobato. That's what they're saying. Mobato, South Africa, I believe it was. But like it was around over there. And then the main fight, the once the finals was um Kotsia against Tate. And again, that was held in South Africa. And with a result so damning for a few for a few people over there, somebody reportedly killed themselves afterwards. Well, and um yeah, That's, I mean the yeah, history repeating itself though would like I don't mean to cut you off, but like sure, the, yeah. it's the whole money thing, like WWE caught a lot, a lot of, you know, heat recently for doing a lot of business over in Saudi Arabia and yep. bringing the major pay-per-views over there. Golf, your kind of- hmm? golf just recently yeah. had a major PR issue because uh, the Saudis basically just bought this major golf tournament that a number of major golfers participated in and some refused. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, yep, they've dabbled and bought, uh, they've straight up bought a number of clubs that uh, have a lot of people conflicted because obviously a lot of people are really loyal to their football clubs, especially in Europe and uh, you know, in England and whatnot. 
So, I mean, you're looking at a situation like in Sun City where Bofutatswana was a place that was basically, uh, they were trying to exile black people, black South Africans, uh, and keep them, kind of monitor their activity and that kind of thing, um, and basically enslave them. And it was an apartheid regime. And so given what's going on right now in other parts of the world, and other apartheid regimes that are currently operating, uh, you know, it, it's, and I'm also not uh, ignorant to the fact that the U.S. has been extremely guilty uh, in a lot of these atrocities and has done its own dirty work. So I'm not going to ignore that. However, point being, currently in Saudi Arabia, there are a lot of really bad human rights issues. And so I'll just say, you know, I'll say it for anybody that it was disappointing to see a lot of the fighters that were over there showing up. I'm happy that they were appreciating. Uh, I appreciate that they were showing up for boxing and that they were uh, they were supporting the fighters in a way. But I was disappointed to see a number of the fighters participating in the weekend when I mean, you know, it was like uncomfortably awkward. You know what I mean? It was like almost like a hostage situation where these people are being forced to say nice things about what they're doing and where they are. And that was really uncomfortable. And like, you know, so having to watch that was just like disappointing as shit. That's really about all I have to say about it though. Cause I don't want to, you know, dwell too much on the negative shit. But a lot of people share those uh, same sentiments. I've noticed that online as well, and rightfully so. It was interesting to see the amount of former champions that they brought out there. And it was quite a few of them. I mean, it was a pretty impressive lineup. They hosted all of these people. So, I mean, they must have spent a lot of money. Absolutely. And I was even surprised to see a few of them out there, like Michael Spinks. I was kind of surprised to see. Um, Buster Douglas (laughs) was another one. Hot men, obviously, not so much like it. I could figure it. Um, and others like uh, Lennox, I knew you'd probably go there and, um, uh, I don't know, a host of other heavyweights and such. But, like, I, again, I totally understand what you mean by, like, you know, the awkwardness of it and everything and, like, trying to be a push down your throat. And a lot of people share those sentiments, too. It was, like, a weird feeling, but. I have a feeling, though, this is um, going to be a trend uh, to come. A lot of big fights are going to be heading over mm-hmm. there. Posted quite a few. And the, with the money that they can offer compared to any other venue around anywhere, for that matter, is massive enough that they can do it. It's going to be done, you know? And Yeah, money talks, dude, for sure. Look what they're doing with wrestling, too. I mean, WWE, the way they've brought shows over there and... Those are, you know what, those are actually really funny. When you find out the behind the scenes things where they were asking, if, can you bring Ultimate Warrior? Can you bring Yokozuna? Can you bring this guy and that one? You have to kind of awkwardly tell them, um, these guys have been dead for years. Because <laughs> they don't like, really watch the product. They just remember people that they like, you know, like to watch when they were yeah. younger. <laughs> or, or maybe still associated with the nostalgia or whatever, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. But it's, it is what it is now. Yeah. For sure. And yeah, and I mean, that's it's uncomfortable. Like I said, it causes cognitive dissonance or some kind of difficult thoughts. And I get it. Uh, Ultimately, I think that it is important to have the fighters paid and paid properly. But I sure wish that we could find some slightly more, you know, ethical 
way to make that happen in in Absolutely. the U.S. or or more locally where the fighters are based. That is, uh, if that is not the U.S. But that being said, dude, man, Fury and Ganu, some unexpected surprises. I, I felt like we just had to kind of talk about it. We had to oh, like get out there and see. And before before we um before we dip, I didn't. I'll have to ask you this because I don't think we really touched on it. We touched on where Ganu can go from this, and there's a open door of possibilities with so many different fighters. I mean, where's Fury going? Because we know that he's going to fight Usyk next, or he's supposed to, but he already just said, as we all predicted, it's not going to happen next month now because his face is beat up, and he just says, you know, I'm going to take some time off, and I got to do X, Y, and Z, or whatever. And it sucks for Usyk because, like, you know, he was really he was already in training yeah. and getting for this mentally prepared, but it's like, you know, do does he get to sue him or how is this gonna work? Fury said yes. he was gonna sue Usyk if he didn't get through with his fight, so it's like Yeah, somebody posted on social media the video of Tyson Fury's like, Well, he's got to fight me. Yeah, take him to court, have a contract. And that's then, a good information. <laughs> and then you know, he's like in his little raspy voice, and yeah. then afterwards he's like, I'm gonna take some time time off I'm like yeah bro and then he's talking about he had a long you know 12 week training camp and i'm like who the fuck trains for 12 weeks and looks like that damon wayne's the fuck yeah training sat on a train for 12 weeks this fucking guy man yeah i don't know what's he gonna do i you know to be honest i don't know like realistically without any jokes I think he looks real bad, dude. And I think that he's the kind of guy, the kind of fighter that he's not going to want to go into negotiations with Usyk when he's like down on the cards. And so mm-hmm. he's probably going to just skip out for a while would be my guess. He's probably going to fuck off and go get even fatter. And then, you know, I don't know. I hope not. I hope he fights back. I hope he's like, screw this. I looked awful and I don't want to look like that again. I'm getting back in the gym. I'm fighting Usyk in February or March and let's get this shit over with. I'd love to see that, but I just don't have any confidence that that's going to happen given his resume, given how he's acted before. So I hope that's not the case because all that's going to do is hold up the division even further. But at this point, dude, all eyes are on Nganu to see what he's going to do. You know, that's what's kind of crazy. Everyone talking about him. That's the one that's the Mr. Excitement. Like no one cares about, I mean, I'm curious about what Fury's future will be. And I'm sure people are to a degree is, but like, like you said, and Ghana was the one that everyone's just like, man, you know, where the possibilities are endless now because like it's these are all fresh fights, and he's a new name that's suddenly thrown in the mix that originally everyone thought would just kind of be a joke and fade off back into um uh the PFL or something, right? But yep. no, here we are, and now there's Wilder, there's Anthony Joshua. Um, I don't know if, how good he look against Usyk, but. You know, there's like this the wide range of possibilities of different fighters he could fight. Yeah, pre-fight press conference, Tyson Fury's talking about, you know, like, I'll take you in a boxing ring and a cage. And now, like, you're like, dude, you couldn't even beat him in a boxer. You know, yeah, plant you six feet under a lettuce patch, bro. Are you kidding me? That's one of the best photos of the year is when Fury's down looking up and Ganu does like the dance in front of him. Gosh, dude. Oh, man. I definitely yelped when it in my chair when I was watching. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. Well, yeah. As you could tell, we're not real big Tyson Fury fans, but I mean, it's tough to be. Are you kidding me? Come on. And I, I mean, as a heavyweight champion, I want to like the guy or something or to like try to like, because I respect him. I think he's a good fighter. Don't get me wrong. That's the thing that's mind numbing. Like, 
I don't sip the Kool-Aid and call him one of the greatest of all time like a bunch of these people do and say, that you know, he's another Ali and all that. Like, once he, you know, once he did that thing on ESPN against that guy that wasn't good, you know, remember that comment when he wore the 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 American flag and all that? I forgot. Yeah. And the dude that went over there and just threw that like over and over and over and Fury just deflected all of them and they were just calling him like the most offensive granddaddy since Ali and posting that uh, uh, clip of Ali and Dokes and doing the same, you know. Except Ali's got like dozens of those clips and that's that only Fury clip. That's like the only, it's like a it poor side like the worst type, uh, worst possible opponent too, like a guy that was just an absolute out and out. So yeah, it, it, the, time, the time is going to come, man. Fury, I don't know if this... I think, you know, like, I'm pretty sure, you know, a lot of this contributed to him being completely out of shape and not taking it seriously. But I think he has diminished a little bit. You know, he definitely is not going to be the same guy. He, those Wilder fights, he took that. He definitely took some punishment. Those were hard knockdowns and getting punched like that. And other yeah, times, he's going to get faster. I'll tell you that and much. You're not taking care of yourself over the years. You know what I mean? Like, you have to keep yourself in shape and do things and not be an absolute slob in between fights. I'm not saying you have to be Bernard Hopkins. Or like Floyd Mayweather in between fights, but at the same time, guys, it's always been that throughout history, it's always been known that guys who don't take care of themselves and just let themselves go absolutely whatever don't really pan out for long careers like that. Yeah. Look at Richard Bull, for example. Bull used to just the way he would just let himself go and get sloppy as shit. You know, right? Especially when he became heavyweight champion. The first thing they did to him was take him on that world tour, and everywhere he stopped, he just gorged himself on food. And then he came into the second Holyfield fight. Um way out of shape still a close fight but you know he was never the same really after that and then you know fury it's and we'll see we will see but i mean yeah not a whole lot of confidence in what's going to happen from this point forward i just hope that the division moves forward that that's probably the most important thing but hey dude i appreciate you taking some time i appreciate you counting that fight man it's a a big event to sit through dude You, you paid your dues Hopefully, yeah, and I had to do another one again that night. The uh, Oshaki Foster fight, which was a whole other story in itself. So yeah, man, that was yeah. The last handful of rounds of that were wild, but yeah. In any case, fun stuff. I appreciate, it, dude. Thank you so much, um, everybody who listened in to the podcast. Thank you so much. Go ahead and subscribe via whatever podcast app it was you used, and rate it, leave a comment. If you watched on YouTube, hi, thank you as well. Go ahead and subscribe, leave a comment. We'll try to say something back. And as far as social media goes, we are both still on Twitter. My boy, Eris Pina is on Twitter as punch zone. Eris I'm there is boxing history. Also the knuckles and gloves podcast is both on Facebook and Instagram. So say hello there as well. Eris we'll talk soon, man. Have a good one.